This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Thanks so much for being with us again. We are working really hard to make sure and get you guys all of the best information we can find. Interviews with experts and advocates and moms and dads and family members with lived experience. I just really believe that it's so, so important that we're getting as many perspectives as we can and as many viewpoints as we can on the things that can happen during pregnancy and postpartum. And in today's episode, I'm talking with Diane Harwood, and she's going to be talking about her own experience through postpartum onset of bipolar disorder. This is one of those diagnoses that's rarely talked about, and Diane is working really very hard to get the word out. So hard, in fact, that she has written a book about her experience that's going to be coming out pretty soon. And in today's episode, we're kind of talking about what it is. What is postpartum onset of a bipolar disorder? And what does it look like to folks who are kind of on the outside? What does it feel like for the person who's experiencing it? What kind of supports could be useful? And really just some hopeful messages and helpful resources. Diane graduated from UC Santa Cruz with a degree in English and American Literature. In 2007, she was diagnosed with postpartum bipolar disorder, also known as bipolar peripartum onset. Her book, Birth of a New Brain, Healing from Postpartum Bipolar Disorder, will be published by Post Hill Press on October 10th. Diane has been a freelance writer for 20 years and has written for the Huffington Post, Self Magazine, and Postpartum Support International. She founded a chapter of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance and facilitated support groups for moms with mood disorders for nine years. Dan lives in Santa Cruz Mountains of California with her husband Craig, Avonlea, and Marilla, and their Scotch Collie Lucy. So let's hear from Diane. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Kat, for having me here. I'm honored. 
Oh, well, I'm honored. And we've been sort of going back and forth on uh, social media, and I'm really excited and inspired by the work that you're doing to get the word out about postpartum onset bipolar disorder. And it's something that we all need to know more about. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Sure. Yeah. So let's start from where it starts for you. Tell us about your story. Okay. Well, I'm 47, and I have two girls. One of them, Avonlea, is 12, and Marilla is 10. She just turned 10, and I have a husband. And then I have a third child, a fur baby dog named <laughs> Lucy, who's very important to my recovery, but I'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. But just long story short, I grew up in Los Angeles, just typical mom, dad, brother, dog. Although it wasn't typical with my dad in a way because he had bipolar disorder. He was a violinist in the Los Angeles Philharmonic, extremely gifted, and a lot of his colleagues also had different kinds of mood disorders. But back then, this was in the 70s and 80s, you know, if people think stigma is bad now, it was way worse back then. So I never was really educated in what was wrong with him. In fact, they didn't call it bipolar disorder back then. They called it manic depression. And it was always this really mysterious, horrible thing growing up around me, seeing him go from charming and happy to a ghost of himself. And then finally, when I was able to kind of verbalize my fears to him, I said, you know, because we were really close. And I said, Daddy, do you think I'll ever get what you have? Like, I didn't say bipolar disorder since it wasn't part of the vernacular. And he'd always say, no, honey, you won't. And they're going to come up with a cure anyway, but you're not going to get it. And I just left it at that. I didn't ask more questions or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So now we're going to take a big leap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I said, I grew up in Los Angeles, and then I came up to where I live now, which is beautiful Santa Cruz County, about 350 miles north of Los Angeles, to go to school. Went through college, majored in literature. And I had depressions, but I never had any kind of mania, except for one very, very short little, I'll call it a like little glimmer of mania. I was in my early 20s, and I was doing festival production over in San Jose, Silicon Valley, where I didn't get any sleep while I was setting up for the festival. I just basically stayed up for a couple nights in a row, and it triggered a hypomania where I just was acting very weird. I was, well, not even weird. I just was acting really energetic and just very different from my normal self. But because I immediately got sleep a couple days later, it went away. So no one said, oh, Diane, I think you have bipolar disorder or that looks like a manic episode. Because first of Mm all, this was in the early 90s and people weren't even hip to mental illness like they are now back, you know, they didn't really recognize the signs like the people I was working with. So that was the only kind of like clue. So everything was okay. And then I had my first baby when I was 34, my daughter Avonlea. And what's interesting is that I didn't have postpartum bipolar fully triggered until the birth of my second child. With Mm -hmm. Avonlea, I did become a little hypomanic, but everyone thought I was just happy, including myself. Mm -hmm. None of the medical people around me, my midwives, postpartum doula, obstetricians, blah, 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 pediatrician. None of them suspected there was a problem. My husband, he didn't think there was a problem either. And I didn't think there was a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'll get you know into this with you and the listeners later. But when I had my second child, it was completely a different experience than the first. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. when it happens. And I've heard from people where it sounds like with the second birth, that's kind of a common thing. 
but I don't know of any studies or anything official that proves mm -hmm. that. Okay. So and that's my nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's really helpful to give kind of the bigger perspective of looking back on it now, how you can see that it sort of popped up here and there. And, you know, in terms of bipolar disorder in general, it can be hard to diagnose because of like the things you just described. It doesn't always come out just, you know, fully and so clearly when the symptoms first come out. Um, right. So I think that's a really great perspective for people to have. Right, right. And and I've had a few people say, well, you know, you had a father with this, this same kind of illness because bipolar disorder is related to bipolar disorder. So there's same symptoms, similar symptoms. And they're like, okay, it was right in front of your face. Why didn't you know? And I was scared. And I think part of myself was in total denial that there was a problem. Yeah. Sure. You know, I didn't want to ha face any kind of horrible repercussions with my family. So, yeah. And I appreciate you saying that, too, because as you're describing that with a bipolar disorder onset, a lot of people feel that way about any kind of mental health issue in general is it's really hard to accept or to recognize. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And I think it's part of one of the reasons that people go without support for so long, because it's really hard to accept sometimes. Exactly. And just to kind of get up to date with your podcast, I listened to one of the best podcasts I've listened to on your program. It's number 36 with Dr. Diana Lynn Barnes. And even though the focus yeah. of that was postpartum psychosis, I knew she would also address bipolar disorder. And what really affected me when I was listening to that was she was saying how, and you were saying, like, you know, moms don't want to admit that they sense something is wrong because they're terrified their new baby is going to be taken away from them. 
Or, you know, that's why we don't say anything, even though we can tell there's something wrong. We don't know exactly what it is sometimes. And that just, that really touched me the way you both verbalized that, because I think Mm -hmm. that's what was going on with me, part of it. That's so scary. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, what you're doing is helping this not happen with other moms, potentially. So, yay. Thank you. Same with you. That's (laughs) what you're doing, too. It is. (laughs) So what happened then with your second daughter? Okay, I knew you'd ask that, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm prepared. It was just a total whirlwind, cat. The labor with my second daughter was awesome compared to the first. With the first, mm-hmm. I did not have an epidural. I wanted to go all natural, and I regretted it when I was seven centimeters dilated. <laughs> so with okay. my second daughter, it was ironic because I had this wonderful, happy labor, pain-free, and then all hell broke loose, basically. Once she was born, I started going into hypomania. I, pretty quickly? Very quickly, but still no one really picked up on it because I seemed happy. But then I didn't sleep. I stopped sleeping. As we know, that is the worst thing that can happen, especially if you have a predisposition to bipolar disorder like I did. And I started to have racing thoughts. Those were the third big thing, <laughs> lots of things, was the energy. I felt like I was revving full of energy, although I was also exhausted, mm. but It was just this weird, bizarre combination, and it just got more and more intense. Now, if you don't mind, I wanted to talk, because even I don't remember all the symptoms of hypomania or mania, and hypomania just means a lesser form of mania, hypo, low. So Mm -hmm. I'll just rattle off a couple. So elevated mood, irritability, (laughs) pursuing goal-directed activities, saying like, oh, okay, I'm going to go write a book or start a nonprofit or I'm going to do, you know, some kind of pet project you've always wanted to do. And I'm going to do it this week with a brand new baby by my side. Right. Uh, heightened energy and a decreased need for sleep, talking a lot, pressurized speech. That's a biggie. And a lot of people don't know what that means. I was asked mm-hmm. that just the other day and I kind of forced myself to give an example. I don't know if you're prepared. Yeah, please for do. Example. It's like a weird affected speech. I'll try. But it's like you talk with a lot of energy, like and purpose in your voice. Mm-hmm. And that's not even how I did it. I, it was even weirder than that, if you can imagine. But it's just mm-hmm. a weird, it's not your mom's typical way of speaking. Let's just put it mm-hmm. that way. You'll notice, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And just a couple more, the racing thoughts, spending a lot of money, hypersexuality, and then also um, grandiosity, where you just think you're like the best thing ever. Like Beyonce has nothing on you. You're better than uh-huh. Beyonce, okay? <laughs> So those are those, <laughs> and I borrowed those from the DSM-5, the Diagnostic mm-hmm. and Statistical Manual of Mental or Mood Disorders. What a name. That's the, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, it's the manual that psychiatrists use to diagnose. So I went into that area. Now, what I could have done, as you know, was go into depression right away, and mm-hmm. I didn't. That didn't happen until later on. Okay. Weeks and weeks later, in my case. Can I ask how soon did you or those around you realize that something wasn't quite right? Well, that's an excellent question. This is kind of the biggie, weird thing that happened with me, and my husband noticed it because it didn't really start until I went home two days later from the maternity hospital. It's called hypergraphia, and it is the craziest thing, Kat. It's nonstop compulsive writing. And my husband, of course, was like, what is going on here? I would write and write and write. I'd write when I was in the bathroom. I'd write when I was tandem breastfeeding my two girls. And, of course, he's like, this is not your usual behavior. 
but we kept fighting about it and he was so exhausted from helping me that he didn't think like oh we should get you medical attention right away we just kept kind of putting it under the carpet you know so that was the biggie he also knew I wasn't sleeping and so did some of my friends and family members because I would be emailing in the middle of the night and they would notice what time I was up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so I hope that answers your question (laughs) it's you know yeah so pretty soon yeah um okay but what's interesting and cool in a way it shows there's doctors out there who really pay attention pediatricians was when I went for Marilla's six-week postpartum checkup to her mm-hmm. pediatrician. He's this really good looking guy, really smart. He trained at UCLA, just super, super smart. And I was like, oh, I have to bring him a bunch of gifts because he's done such a great job. This is someone with bipolar disorder. You know, mm-hmm. this is like clearly behavior. Like, mm-hmm. I can't just bring him one gift. I need to bring him like five. So I'm like running mm-hmm. around the house with a baby and a toddler. My husband was at work trying to find all these gifts for my doctor. And then we all get there the three of us. And he looked at me, Kat, and I'll never forget this. He just looked at me and he said, Diane, you're manic. He wasn't Um, trying to be mean. I think he just was, this doesn't happen a lot with pediatricians. Uh But the fact that he was able to make that connection was the impetus Mm -hmm. to get Craig and I to agree that I realized I had to go get help. I mean, I couldn't ignore it then, you know. So I did admit myself into the local psychiatric unit, which was terrifying. So you went there voluntarily or what was that path? I actually did go voluntarily because I knew I respected this doctor and it allowed me to finally like, it was kind of like a collapse of a dam. I realized, whoa, Mm. I can't pretend or deny any longer. I have to do this. I know. And my kids were so, they were so cute and it was so heartbreaking. It was. And nowadays things are so much better. I don't mean to sidestep this, but, you know, they have mother and baby units. I can't imagine something like that. And that's great. That's great. Yeah. There's not enough of them. There's a couple here and there. There's Mm -hmm. only a couple. And I know, you know, Postpartum Support International has a page that says where they are. And I know you'll explain that too. But yeah, you know, if I could have done that, it would have made it so much easier. It really would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, how this was seven weeks postpartum that you went to the, okay. So Diane, if you can tell us how you were helped while you were in the hospital, what was good about it? Well, the staff, they were really, even though it wasn't a specialized unit and it wasn't a mother and baby unit, the staff were really compassionate for the most part. And I didn't have to stay there that long, which was also helpful. And the best part of all was that they had the chief psychiatrist meet with me and tell me about my diagnosis. And honestly, I couldn't ask for a kinder person. He sat next to me side by side. We were just like in a little sunny alcove together. It wasn't like a, you know, oh, I am the psychiatrist and you're the lowly patient kind of rapport, Mm. non-rapport. He built rapport with me and he just told me the truth and just said, you know, you have bipolar disorder, but it's a postpartum time and it's a very treatable illness. He was oh. all about like positive. He knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about and he didn't make it seem like a death sentence. He mm. made it seem like there was hope and it was not the end of the world. And that's, that's so great. It was great. So I should, you know, and I wish I wrote about that more in my book, to be honest, because I didn't, I don't think I really did. So I'm glad I get the chance to say this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, something that we had sort of briefly talked about just off 
outside of the recording is that sometimes people have a difficult experience in the hospital, and that does happen, but it's also nice to hear that you had a relatively positive experience for a very difficult situation. Totally. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I had a lot of, you know what, doctors later on, but Mm -hmm. to have the actual, the very first time you're told the diagnosis, that at least I got that. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. Okay, great. So before we get down the path of your healing, I think maybe it would be useful for listeners to understand from your perspective and maybe just your experience internally what you felt like what was going on. I think we have some really good examples of what people on the outside might see that the symptoms that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Can you Mm -hmm. speak a little bit of to what it felt like for you? Sure. It was mixed. First of all, I was totally exhausted. That was the underlying feeling the whole time. So that affected everything. But I also, Mm -hmm. you know, I won't lie, mania for most people or hypomania, the lesser kind, there's a part of you that is kind of, you're happy and you're Mm -hmm. grateful. Like, plus I did have a beautiful, healthy baby. Thank goodness. And so I would just, you know, do all the mommy things with a postpartum baby, like stare at her. And I remember it was good, but also I knew, like I mentioned before, I mean, there was an underlying sense something was awry with my brain chemistry. I couldn't mm-hmm. pretend in my own head. So it was this weird, you know, uncomfortable, bittersweet feeling. So, for instance, like when you were describing the hypergraphia, so your husband noticed that you were writing a lot, but did it seem strange to you or did it feel out of control to you? Or what was that experience like from your perspective? It did feel strange to me. I knew, I knew something was weird. I knew, in fact, I even um, Googled it, which I go into a lot of detail in my book about this, and I found someone else like me. So I realized there's something wrong, and what can this be? And I researched it. It was like also like mania. It's like an enjoyable thing. Like I was a writer. I was a writer by trade. So to be able to write oh, nonstop right. with what I thought were really creative, amazing observations. Sure was amazing but I wouldn't want to go back to that either it didn't feel normal and it hurt physically it hurt physically I was already breastfeeding so I had carpal tunnel reactivated and hunched do you know what I mean but it felt like you couldn't quite stop right and part of me didn't want to stop it and part of me did so Uh it was like conflicting emotions Right. Thank you for that. I just think it's so important, especially for people who kind of have no context for what this is like, but also people who are trying to figure out what's going on for them mm-hmm. to kind of be able to have a sense of like what the internal experience is versus what we would be seeing on the outside. Right. So thank you for that. Sure. So in terms of your healing process and recovery, what happened after the hospital? Well, I was very, very lucky. This actually was a little bit before the hospital too, but my mother wasn't able to be here. So she did gift us with a postpartum doula. And in fact, that ties into you, you know, what kind of support can any mother, especially a mother with a mental illness use? Mm -hmm. And of course, postpartum doula is ideal, but she, and so you're probably wondering, well, didn't she see there was something wrong? And she did, but she wasn't quite sure what it was. So she stayed with us afterwards and helped our family for a while. But of course, you know, we are not rich people and my mom could only pay for a certain amount of time. So after I got back from the hospital, I did resign myself to take medication, which I was not happy about, um, especially because I had to stop breastfeeding. This was 10 years ago and the research, there wasn't as much research about that topic as there is now, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but I know there are some medications that are relatively safe or safer 
with breastfeeding, but I just had to stop and that was hard. But I knew at least I did it. I knew I had to do it. So I just resigned myself. So, and for me, Kat, I tell people, I'm kind of like, it took me a long time to recover a lot more than most, it will take most people. But wait, help me with this one. Okay. It did. This is where I don't want to scare people, but it took me like until 2013, really, to get better. And this started in 2007. For me, it took a lot longer than most moms because I had something called treatment-resistant bipolar depression. So I had to try a lot of different medications. Some of them helped a little bit. Most of them didn't do anything. And a few had very bad effects. And that's just how it is sometimes. Other moms find medications right away that help, Mm -hmm. and and they never have to worry about it. But then when I was at my most vulnerable, I just had something happen that kind of sent me over the edge. And I think most people understand this. I was already very depressed. And then my dad, who was basically my best friend besides my husband, passed away. And and I still miss him a lot. When I told him about my diagnosis, he cried. I mean, he felt responsible for bipolar Mm -hmm. And so, and I knew he was going to die. Every day I dreaded the phone call. And finally the phone call came. I told Mm -hmm. Craig, I felt I didn't have a plan. I'm not going to go into detail because I know it's upsetting, but I didn't feel good. I didn't feel safe. And I asked him to take me to the hospital, to the ER. And at that point, keep in mind, no medications had worked. And I had read a wonderful, wonderful book by a therapist named Martha Manning called Undercurrents. And here she was a therapist and she had terrible depression and she decided to opt for electroconvulsive therapy, which is also known as ECT or even electroshock. And she had it done and it saved her life. And I I remembered that book and I Mm -hmm. I talked to my psychiatrist and I told him, you know, I don't want to do this, but I just feel like nothing else is helping. So I do want to do this. And so we did it. It didn't solve my life's problems, but it brought me out of the dark side and it was, it did save my life. And I didn't, a lot of people, it's very controversial. A lot of people say bad things about it, but for me, it was a really positive experience and I didn't have the major side effect is memory loss. I had minimal memory loss, although we joke around because how do you know if you've had a lot of memory <laughs> loss? Or... Yeah. No, I knew. I mean, I did have some at first, but it totally mm-hmm. got better. So I mm-hmm. was very, very grateful that existed back then. You know, like I said, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but I also wanted to be alive to be with my children and my yeah. dad, my husband. Right. Not my dad. Right. Not my dad. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not yet. No, I know. I know what you mean. And and just I think it's because these things don't happen to us in a vacuum. You are dealing with a very real struggle of trying to figure out how to to heal and recover from the bipolar disorder and how to live your life. And then life happens mm-hmm. at the same time. This is such a common experience for so many people that while they're struggling, more struggle happens and I thank you for, you know, being open about it and talking about your path because it's not always cut and dry. It doesn't, I mean, obviously it would be amazing if it were, Um, (laughs) but most people have different levels and layers of struggle and recovery. And so I thank you for for being real about it. Oh, thank you. Well, nowadays I'm excited because there are other options. You don't have, if you Mm -hmm. don't want to do ECT, I know I've heard some good things about ketamine at UCLA and then there's also TMS. TMS, magnetic stimulation. Thank you. 
And I know there's a ton of research going on right now because I'm a member of the International Society for Bipolar Disorders. I'm lucky to be part of this group because the rest of them are these highfalutin psychiatrists. So I'm just like <laughs> a consumer member, but I do, you know, hear of things going on. So I am optimistic there's going to be better medications and treatments and hopefully someday a cure. But in the meantime, if someone, if a mom needs it, you know, just, I just say, you know, be open to it. If you're that low, just mm-hmm. talk, you know, think of it is there if you need it. So what do you wish people knew about postpartum bipolar disorder and what you've been through? Well, one of the biggest wishes I have is just simply that more people knew it existed alongside the more known perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, such as postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and all the other ones. And speaking of postpartum psychosis, (laughs) there's been some confusion just in the 10 years I've had this diagnosis and I've studied it. There's confusion between postpartum psychosis and postpartum bipolar, which is also called bipolar peripartum onset in the diagnostic manual we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. And so what helped me kind of get a better sense to explain to other people was to be in touch with an expert on postpartum psychosis. She's a consumer expert. She's not a doctor, but her name is Teresa Toomey, and she wrote a wonderful book called Understanding Postpartum Psychosis, A Temporary Madness. And it's like, it's a classic, basically. And she's also done an incredible TED Talk that I encourage everyone to watch. And Teresa She's also a lawyer. She's very accomplished. And so her quote really has a lot of bearing, a lot of weight. And so she said, we often associate bipolar disorder, either pre-existing bipolar or postpartum onset, with postpartum psychosis. Most women with postpartum psychosis may have an underlying bipolar disorder, but not all of those with bipolar disorder have psychosis, and not all of those with psychosis have bipolar disorder talk about a tongue twister, but yeah, (laughs) I'm trying to memorize this and I just can't Um, (laughs) (laughs) for my talks. But so basically you can have one or the other or both. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, 
you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. A lot of doctors believe that bipolar, or if you have postpartum psychosis, it's part of the bipolar disorder spectrum. That's kind of the predominant way of thinking. But I've had people actually negate postpartum bipolar disorder to me and tell me they don't recognize it and that it doesn't exist. And that's been hard for me. As they're talking to someone who's been through it. Yeah. And I don't know why that is with some people. I know I shouldn't get too caught up in it because it takes away from explaining it to people who are open to it, like you. Thank you. Sure. Um, Yeah. And then I should also say, so so that's what's helped me besides Teresa and people like you. I've talked to perinatal psychiatrists who believe it exists, right? (laughs) And one Mm -hmm. of them, he is one of the top, top, top ones in the world. He's like the Mount Everest perinatal psychiatrist. (laughs) He's in Ontario, Canada, and his name is Dr. Varinder Sharma. And his name is on tons of studies. He's done hundreds of studies. And so I just wanted to remind everyone that according to the diagnostic manual, what postpartum bipolar disorder is these days, because the definition has changed over the years. But now Dr. Sharma told me, and it's in the manual, you can read it for yourself if you have a manual. He said that it means the onset of bipolar disorder can be during pregnancy or the four weeks postpartum. He doesn't agree with that because he believes it's not that cut and dried. Right. Like with me, it wasn't like I was beyond four weeks. I was a couple of weeks after that, you know, but that is what the official specifier is in the manual. So it's something yeah. he's working on that with other doctors to change that in future diagnostic manuals. It's probably right. more information than you wanted to know, but that's kind of like the official diagnostic criteria. Yeah. I think that's actually really great information and perspective to have. I mean, there's a lot of therapists who listen to this and professionals and Mm -hmm. and birthing professionals who, you know, are learning about these diagnoses as we go along in the podcast, too. And, you know, moms and family members who are like, what is this and what do we do? And so having some of that information is useful. It is. But I mean, I'm here. I have it. And it's it's confusing to me. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard to understand all this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm yeah. getting there. I'm getting there, Kat. Right. Yeah, you definitely are. And you're helping everybody else get there too, which is fantastic. And I'm excited to to see your book. Oh, thank um, you. When it comes thank out. You. Yeah. So you've been through your experience and you're at a place now where, you know, you're writing a book about it and wanting to help other people. So now that you've kind of been through this spectrum of experience, what are some hopeful or helpful messages that you can give to other people who might be going through this too? I like to give people pragmatic tools that I personally use. Nothing too (laughs) hippy-dippy, but just a few things. I don't want to overwhelm anyone, but I must say that in my book, I have a lot more information if people want to check that out. But one of them is, and everyone's heard this before, but it is exercise. One thing I didn't tell you during my introduction about my life is that I, for a while I was a certified, a certified personal trainer. I was really into fitness, and I've always been really fascinated by the latest studies and all that kind of thing. Well, when I joined the International Society for Bipolar Disorders, they have webinars. And one of them was given by this incredible psychiatrist. He works in Kuwait and Canada. And the theme of that webinar was exercise for mood disorder stability. So 
I wanted to watch that or listen to that because <laughs> he was telling us how we can be more stable if we have a mood disorder. And so I, his name's Dr. Mohammed El Swaden, and it's super easy to explain. It's just basically you exercise six days a week for 30 minutes a day, and you have to do it in intensity that it's intense enough so that you break a sweat and that you can't carry a conversation with someone. It sounds really simple, but it's, of course, hard to do with real life. But he studied that with his patients, and he did it himself. And he said what it does is it changes the brain. Now, it's not for weight loss per se. It has nothing to do with that, really, although it could help some people. But you're doing it for mood support and mood stability. So... Mm. I do that. I'm a little bit lax as far as the intensity, like I need to step it up a notch, but just I go through periods of time when I'm abide by it and other times where mm -hmm. I, and then I have a dog and my dog is not into going super fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save that for another time. So I, you know, I do say exercise. I do that. Of course, sleep, getting anyone who has bipolar disorder, that's actually going to be their number one thing is like, make sure mm -hmm. you get enough sleep. You can't always mm -hmm. do that when you have children who interrupt you in the middle of the night with nightmares. And that's an ongoing thing. And then I have a few other things, but the, I mean, those are kind of my, it's, it's just basically nothing major. Uh, make sure you take your medication. Okay. That's a mm -hmm. whole other podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some people are not going to want to take medication. Some people yeah. with bipolar can be stable and live a healthy life and not take medication and they do holistic things. I tried to do that twice and it didn't work. So, you know, I had to basically just accept it that I have to take medication. It helps me have a good life. And so that's another tenet that I don't try to preach it, but mm -hmm. I do. If it's what works for you, then. Yeah, it does. Great. It does. It does. So. So what kinds of supports would you suggest to people or do you think that folks need if they're dealing with a bipolar diagnosis? I think as soon as possible, just assemble a recovery team. I mean, hopefully the mom is not going this completely alone. So her partner can help her find a doctor, a qualified doctor, a therapist. And then this is a hard thing to do, but reach out for support to if you can do that with family, other family members, friends, and even your community. And I know some people are going to be thinking, what? But honestly, I am part of some Facebook, local Facebook neighborhood groups. And all the time, I'll see little announcements saying, we're going through a health crisis, cancer, this, something that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know the stigma is really bad. So you don't have to say exactly what it is. But you could just say, our family needs some help. Could, mm -hmm. you know? And there's also great websites. There's one called... Um, I think it's called caregiving, something like that. There's these websites where you need support from your friends and community. They help you organize it. So mm -hmm. use those. Use those wonderful resources because you can't, you know, just two people, one of them who has the mental illness, you can't go it alone. It's too much for anyone. And my mm -hmm. husband would never have been able to do it by himself while keeping a job and mm -hmm. also taking care of our two children. So mm -hmm. sometimes you have to put down, take you know, some of that pride or whatever and, and don't, you know, stigma, it's getting better. It's getting better. Okay. <laughs> it's not perfect, but just, just do what you can to get help that you deserve. Mm -hmm. Ah, that right? Deserve. Yes. Yes. Nobody asks to feel bad. Well, now I'm stumbling on my words a bit, but... It's okay. Yeah, I love that you said deserve because, like I said, nobody asked to feel this way and people definitely can feel better when they have the right help. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and your experience and all the, the work that you're doing to get the word out there and advocate for other mothers. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. 
Oh my gosh, Kat. If you want me on again, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll find another that. time. We'll find another time. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. I just so appreciate Diane coming on today and sharing her experience and perspective with us. She's been working very hard to advocate for the peripartum onset of bipolar disorder to be recognized and understood more deeply. And happy to say that the work that she's done is now going to be available in book form. And I'm happy to say that her book is available for pre-order on Amazon or Kindle, and it will be released on October 10th of 2017. So for those of you who are interested in learning more, I highly suggest you go over and check that out. And if you want to connect with her in other ways on social media, she's on Twitter at Diane Harwood. Her website is dianeharwood.com. Her Facebook page and her Instagram are both Birth of a New Brain, which is the title of her upcoming book. So if you guys head over to Amazon or Kindle and pre-order Birth of a New Brain by Diane Harwood, then you'll get it as soon as it's released. And for those of you who want more information in general on bipolar disorder, please do check out Postpartum Support International. Diane has also left us with some other resources from International Bipolar Foundation, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and a couple of other things I will put in the show notes for you guys to access and check out. And for those of you who haven't yet, come on over to Mom and Mind Connection and join our closed Facebook group where we go into a little bit more discussion about the things that we talk about on the podcast and certainly a great place for you guys to exchange resources and support. If you haven't yet, please do go over and subscribe to the podcast and give us a review if you're up for it just takes a couple of seconds. And once you've done that, your reviews and your star ratings help other people to find the podcast as well. You're also welcome to share it with anybody you think could be supported by this information. Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 